who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon, and him who holds the scepter from Beth-Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword, and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kirioth, and Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord, and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go in to the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar, on garments taken in pledge, 
and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and led you forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength. Nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O You're muted. Thank you. Uh, so it's probably a good thing that uh, you hear less of my voice, uh, although I've, I've always thought it was, well, I've heard it pronounced as uh, Gaza rather than Gaza. Um, now, there is a quote that is often attributed to um, Edmund Burke. I'm sure you've heard it said before. You'll certainly recognize it. The only thing necessary to triumph uh, the, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Now, apparently, uh, Burke never said this, uh, but instead, the earliest version we know it was said by uh, John Stuart Mill in 1867. So, and he said, bad men need nothing more to encompass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. Well, it seems today that as we look around, as we see the news, evil men are prospering all over. The latest scandal uh, this week in the US is over the uh, famous uh, New York governor, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, people seem less worried about his uh, various sex scandals, uh, five accusations of sexual harassment uh, by the latest count. But if this wasn't enough, uh, there were uh, the thing that is making the bigger scandal is that his office is covering up that there was a directive uh, from his office to send elderly people who had been infected with the, the COVID-19 virus back to nursing homes and thereby furthering and endangering the lives of all the vulnerable, pe uh, vulnerable people in those homes. And that similarly happened in the UK. Uh, and there was a big scandal about that. In the UK, we, I'm, I'm hearing at the moment, and there the were demonstrations last night ignoring uh, the government uh, saying that they should go home into lockdown uh, about, so yesterday there was a, a police officer who was um, called Wayne Cousins, who has been arrested and charged for the kidnapping and murder of 23-year-old uh, Sarah Everard, uh, Ever, Everard 
who was just walking home across Clapham Common. Um, and that's uh, quite a busy area. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an area I know quite well. I used to cycle across it all the time. Um, and it seems that if, if I took um, the news from any country, we would probably find stories in the last week or two where evil and evil men seem or women seem to be flourishing. Uh, and uh, there is an outcry against evil, uh, even by today's warped understanding of what is evil. And there is something in us, not just us as Christians, uh, but as a society, we cry out and we ask the question, when will it stop? What can we do? What can be done? Where are the good men and women? What are the good men and women doing? And as Christians, we obviously ultimately ask, where is God? Well, we, we're going to look at that today and we can see that Amos is starting to address that. Uh, so let me pray as, uh, before I go on. Father, again, I ask that your spirit is here opening up your word to us. Uh, we pray that we can uh, see the relevance of Amos, his words, and see that it speaks true to us today. Father, I pray that you speak through me, through your words, and that you help us to change and become more like you, that we can live to witness for you and your glory and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Well, so we have Amos, this character, uh, enter stage right, and we've got to learn a little bit more about uh, Amos. So Amos, in some ways, is a man who the people were just not going to listen to. In chapter one, verse one, we can see here uh, that Amos was among the shepherds of Tekoa. Now, in some ways, that uh, puts him in good company uh, of Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David. He was a, a shepherd, but actually he was more than that. He was a, he was a wealthy uh, owner of, uh, or perhaps a trader of sheep. We don't know for certain. What we do know is that he was uh, an educated man and he comes from Judah. Uh, but he felt God calling him to speak the words of prophecy to Israel. So this is about 150 years after uh, the split of the kingdoms. After Solomon uh, dies, the kingdoms split into Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Uh, and this is about 750 BC. Uh, and even though there is some kinship um, between the two countries, sometimes there's treaties, sometimes there's joint ventures. Certainly they recognize that they are worshiping the same God. And there is current peace among the nations. Um, there is still tension. And you can see that. I mean, we studied in, in the Gospel of Luke that this is... Um, the, the Israelites uh, kind of became Samaria. Um, sorry, Israel kind of became Samaria. And so there's definitely some tension there and some kind of um, antagonism there. So it would be like, uh, for example, if, if I was back home, it would be like someone from London, well-educated London, uh, Londoner, going up to Scotland and Edinburgh and speaking to the, uh, the Scottish Parliament there. 
not very, probably not very well received, especially given he's got a, a proper British accent, English accent, and then the Scots will probably laugh at him and kick him out. Um, and that's probably similar here. You can just imagine if uh, a proper um, Singaporean went up to KL and started speaking judgment to the, the parliament or even the, the religious leaders in KL. Can you imagine just how well that would go down? Really not very well. Also, Amos wasn't a priest. He wasn't even a prophet in the recognized sense. So th there were plenty of prophets at the time who were living and giving their full time as prophets. He wasn't from a priestly background. And so we shouldn't be surprised that he was rejected, especially by the priests in Israel who he's gone to talk to in Bethel. And finally, um, we know that at this time, Jeroboam, who was the king, that Jeroboam II, who was the king of Israel, had had some military successes and expanded his territory. Uh, it was a time of prosperity. So this is the time when you don't really want to listen to somebody who is, uh, who is bringing a word of judgment. Judgment and gloom is coming. Punishment is coming. Uh, and Amos is bringing this at a time of prosperity. And so the people of Israel are not going to want to listen to this word. But actually, Amos starts pretty well. So we can see in this passage, he starts speaking judgment on Damascus, and then Gaza, and then Tyre, and then Eden, and then the Amorites in chapter one. And then he goes on to uh, accuse Moab and even his home uh, country, Judah, at the start of chapter two. In each of these short, uh, short kind of poetic uh, summaries, he lists the sins of the nations and the reasons why God is angry at them. There is this repeated poetic phrase for three transgressions and for four. It's repeated eight or uh, nine times, I think. And this gives us a sense that they are building up a debt and the anger of God. And so this is not an isolated instant. They are not sinning against God in an isolated instant. Like the fact that politicians caught in sex scandals have become almost commonplace to us. It doesn't shock us anymore. Political cover-ups, it doesn't shock us anymore. We're so used to it now. Or those are in authority abusing their power. Three, transgress uh, three transgressions and then for four. God's anger is all the more justified. And like us crying out, we see this image of God as a roaring lion. If you've watched the, uh, the Narnia films, you know that Aslan, or we've read the books, you know that we have this image of God as Aslan. Uh, Aslan is this is not just a normal lion. He is a larger than life lion. He is incredibly huge and he's scary. When he roars onto the battlefield in the first film or in the first book, The Lion, the Witch and Wardrobe, that's when the enemy knows that they have lost. That's when they start fleeing. 
And if you've ever seen a fully grown lion in real life, you will know how powerful that is. Now, I must confess, I have only seen lions in zoos, but even the lions that I've seen in, in zoos, it, you know, seeing them on film or seeing them in pictures doesn't do them justice. They are huge. And every inch of their body is taut muscle, ready to pounce. You can just see a hint of that when you see cats, when they pounce, they, they spring their whole body, it's their muscles tight and, and ready. Now imagine that on a much larger scale, on a lion, which is uh, much larger than a human. And it's, it's no mistake that a lion is called the king of the jungle. And that so many nobles and royalty have had included lions as part of their crests. So when the lion roars, when God roars, when God is angry, people will listen. People need to listen. Punishment is coming. God is angry. And we've seen this before in the Bible. For me, one of the most striking passages in the Bible is when God makes a covenant with Abraham. He promises Abraham things. And then there's this great scene where a brazier, a lit brazier, smoking fire is, uh, goes through these three dead animals that are, have been cut in two. And traditionally it was that the two people making the, the pact would go uh, walk through these, it's a rather grim scene, but walk through these three dead animals together. But instead, God puts Abraham at this time, Abraham to sleep, and this smoking brazier, this fiery brazier, which represents God, floats through these three dead animals. And this is God saying to Abraham that he is doing all of this himself. This covenant is God making this pact with Abraham. Abraham has to do nothing. He there's nothing that he can do on his part. God is doing everything for himself. And then God says to Abraham this. He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not, that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. So this is Abraham, uh, you know, God talking to Abraham, talking about the Israelites when they go to Egypt. And we've got the records of this. And you might think, well, the you know, Old Testament a long time ago. Well, we've got the records of this. I don't, we don't know. I mean, we know that Moses wrote uh, the, the Pentateuch. Um, but this is a, the prophecy to Abraham. And God says, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterwards they shall come up, come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go back, uh, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we know that Israel was put into Egypt. And Moses was a judgment on Egypt. 
This is the most powerful country in the world at this time. This is the first proper civilization. And God, in his 10 plagues, makes a mockery of each of the Egyptian gods. Go and look it up. Each of the 10 plagues is a slap in the face of the Egyptian gods and saying, you are useless. And then he brings the uh, people of Israel back to Canaan. And why, why then and not before? We see it in the passage. They shall come back here in the fourth generation. That's back to Canaan. For the iniquity of the Amorites, that is, yeah, that's the general name for all of those uh, people who were in the Canaan, Canaan at the time. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is a patient God. He is a merciful God. But one thing we can be certain is that we should never mistake God for a God who is powerless to act. God is a patient God. For three transgressions and four, he is waiting until their iniquity is complete and God can bring his judgment like a roaring lion. Beware the roaring lion. And so at this point, the Israelites are probably uh, sitting back and feeling quite smug. They're agreeing and they're nodding. You can just imagine with their, you know, with their wise, I like to think of these, these priests uh, with their wise, long white beards. You always see that in Hollywood movies. And, and certainly that's kind of like a, a Jewish thing, the, the, long, yeah, the long beards. And they're, they're stroking it and nodding away. Because Amos has attacked Damascus. For war atrocities, we see here they have threshed Gilead with sledges of iron. That, those are war atrocities. And God will hold them to account for that. And Amos has attacked, using God's word, he has attacked Gaza, not just for war atrocities, but also for slavery. And that's a horrendous thing in God's sight as well. And he will hold them account for that, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. And God, uh, Amos, through the words of God, has attacked Tyre, not just for war, not just for slavery. You see, they, they've deliver, uh, delivered up whole people to Edom. But also for breaking the covenant of brotherhood. Here we see the covenant of brotherhood. That is breaking a treaty. So Tyre has, is guilty for war and slavery and breaking a treaty. God will hold them to account for that. And God has, sorry, and, and Amos attacks Edom through God's words. They broke more than a treaty. It's not just a treaty, but a blood pact. Now, what's this about? Well, Edom was descended from Esau, and Israel was and Judah were descended from Jacob, brothers at each other with perpetual anger. So there is a constant battle and anger between Edom and Israel and Judah, especially between Edom and Israel at this time. And God will hold them to account for that because these are Israel's brothers. They have this blood bond and they break that and they're constantly angry about that. 
And we see here the, uh, that Amos has attacked the Amorites through God's word. This horrific image here. They have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. These are the horrors of war. And why? Just to enlarge their border. The horrors and destruction of war. You might excuse it because it's war, but God does not. Rape and pillaging and these horrendous acts. God will hold them to account. He says, I will not revoke the punishment. God will hold them to account. And in chapter two, we see uh, Amos attacking Moab. Through God's word, only the bitterest of wars does one side dig up the grave of their enemies. So we see here, he burnt the, to line the bones of the kingdom, the king of Edom. So only in the most bitter of wars do we see an enemy dig up, go purposely dig up and destroy the bones of their, their enemy. In every culture, desecrating the dead is a horrendous act. It is an act that is designed to cause anger among your enemy. There is no other reason for that. Now, note before we go on that every single one of these nations did not worship God. But that's not a good enough excuse for God. Last year in the men's Bible study, we studied Romans and Romans 1 verse 19 and 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. That is heathens, pagans, people who do not know God. For what is known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So for every one of these nations, there will be judgment for three transgressions and for four. I will not revoke the punishment. Creation is evidence enough that I exist, that there is a God and there will be punishment for our inbuilt idea of conscience. We read about that in Romans, that even the non-Christian, even the non-Jew has a conscience and they, without the law, know what is good because God in his creation of them gave them a conscience. Now, Amos moves on to Judah. And what are they judged for? Well, they are judged for rejecting the law of the Lord and not keeping his statutes. That their lies have led them astray and those after which their fathers walked. You see, they knew God's law. They had God's law. And there will be a reckoning. Amos does not leave out his own nations. And all of a sudden, those priests who are nodding and kind of stroking their chins are maybe frowning. This guy is, is delivering judgment on his own people. 
And finally, Amos turns his eyes on those he's, he's talking to, the transgressions of Israel. And you can see that the judgment that Amos delivers is over three times as long as all of the others. This isn't just acts of war and atrocities, although uh, the, Israel was at war in expounding its, uh, expanding its borders. Those aren't bad enough. These are personal sins. They have taken advantage and trampled the poor, the, the poor. despite all the laws, the Old Testament laws uh, about looking after the poor. So that's what this is about. Taking advantage and trampling the poor. And the next section is a man and his father will go into the same girl. And this is uh, I understand this is probably referencing temple prostitutes. Not God's temple, of course, pagan temples. And this is despite all the laws against lust and adultery and prostitution. And it takes it further. The law, uh, they lay beside every altar. These are the altars of false gods. Despite the primary law about not worshipping idols and other gods, you shall have no other god before me. They drink wine in the house of God, desecrating God's house. This is despite God having destroyed the Amorites as the Israelites came back from Egypt and reclaimed Canaan. God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, who raised up prophets among them, destroyed the Amorites, even though they were strong. They were strong and powerful. But the tiny uh, nation of Israel managed to destroy them before them. Because they had God and God provided them the land of milk and honey. You see that what Amos has done is he has started looking at and judging through God's word all of the nations around Israel. And it's becoming a tighter and tighter circle until he hones in and uses greater words, more personal words to judge um, to judge Israel. And we can see if we look down to chapter three, the very first words that is uh, Amos used in in poetic language here, you only I have known of all the families of the earth, we can see the anguish of God here. We see this repeated through God's uh, speaking uh, through the prophets. God's speaking about Israel and his relationship with Israel. This is very much the image of uh, God and the church, a man who has caught his wife in adultery. You only I have known. You only I have loved. You have betrayed me even though I gave my heart to you. 
of all the families in the earth, of all the nations in the earth, I loved you. And we can imagine the righteous anger that God has, has now. It is not surprising that God, who has been so patient, is now like a roaring lion and is ready to judge and dole out punishment to his people. So how does that apply to us? We who have been forgiven so much must be careful not to take it for granted. Must not stop realizing that we are being forgiven this, that we need to recognize God's patience and mercy. We must not imagine that God's patient, patience and mercy is a sign that he is not acting, that he will not act, that that judgment day will not come. We need to recognize that God is a merciful and a patient God. We need to recognize that God is a roaring lion and that judgment will come for us and we will be declared guilty. And for those who are not saved and not yet saved, and so that should spur us on to, to tell others about God. That is what God has charged us with, to tell others about the gospel. And it is then God's God and God's spirit. They are it is their work to do the conversion. It is our work to go and witness to others. Because this judgment will come. And the evil that is all of us, the evil that all of us do. And so we need to go out with humility because we continue to commit evil. We continue to sin despite having the laws, having the gospel, having the word of God. We go out with humility and we preach the gospel because God's judgment and his punishment is coming. God is a roaring lion. And we need to fear him. But we also need to recognize that he has given us mercy. Let me pray. Father, we pray that we can realize and fear you. For you are the creator God. You are the God who brings down nations and empires and kings of rich men of powerful men lord we pray that you bring judgment on this evil lord we cry out for justice and lord we know that if you brought justice we would also be judged because we are guilty so, Lord, we pray that you give us boldness and courage and the words to say to our friends, those who, who do not know you yet. Let us live as witnesses for you. Let us keep looking to you, the great act that you do, did in saving us. And the promise of eternity with you. When all evil will end. In Jesus' name, amen.